Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, tonight is a very special episode that we are recording. Uh, one of our very favorite people is the subject of this uh, uh, episode, and this is episode 65, and this is all about the great... 66. 66. 66. See, we even just talked about that, and I, I told you, I, I've drank too much, two sips, and I'm, I'm done. That's I'm right, very you're flying. Uh, uh, episode 66, uh, great Robin Williams, uh, probably one of the most talented men uh, that, of our generation, uh, of our memory, uh, because he could do yeah. it all. And he was an actor. He was a comedian. Uh, he did uh, comedy. He did drama. Uh, he, he did stand-up. Uh, he was probably the greatest improvisational character that you will ever find. Uh, he and Jonathan Winters were uh, close friends, and they were two peas in a pod. Uh, they would feed off each other when, uh, when they were on uh, the Mork and Mindy show and whenever they were together. But uh, the great Robin Williams, I, I think one of the finest talents ever produced. Amen. Yes. So, <clears throat> before we really dig into Robin Williams, uh, you know, he is, uh, he's a tragic figure uh, in, in many ways, because <clears throat> he, he's, he's dealt with uh, probably the whole gamut of the human experience. You know, he's, uh, he, he had uh, uh, multiple marriages, uh, so he's had the, the marriage, divorce, you know, failed marriage. He's got the, uh, uh, the drugs that he dealt with uh, in the 80s, uh, doing cocaine, and, and uh, he was, uh, I think alcohol was a serious problem for him as well. And he got past that, uh, but he also dealt with depression, uh, which uh, in retrospect is very obvious. Many comedians, many great talents like his have to deal with depression. Uh, comedy is how they deal with it. And uh, it finally, uh, later complications in his life drove him to make suicide, unfortunately, uh, just six years ago, August 11th, 2014. And it was a, it was a great blow mm -hmm. to find out that he was gone. Because as much as he did, it was not enough. It really wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, he, he was yeah, such a great talent. His death rippled through, um, you know, every level of, of American society, really. And it struck everybody. Uh, even President Obama released a statement about uh, Robin Williams' death. Mm -hmm. He was beloved. He really was because he was seen – he had had such a long career at that point, you know, well over 30 years. But he, he – everybody loved him, uh, and that was part of the problem because he was so famous, uh, and he was – I truly believe, and I think he said this somewhere, that he was an introvert by nature. Uh, yeah. He he really yeah he he didn't he didn't like the adulation but yet that's how he compensated was his talent uh, for for stand up and things like that and uh, he was so good at it uh, but he was also an amazingly uh, range the range he could do some st tremendously dramatic roles he was an actor uh, as Trevor Slatter we would say <laughs> yes he went uh, to Juilliard so he could enunciate to the back row that's exactly <laughs> that's right. Uh, we used to know, we had his Live at the Met completely memorized at one point. We'd watched it so many times. Uh, I ended Listen up getting that, so yeah, I got that VHS uh, during when we were in college, and we just, 
play the absolute you know what out of it. Uh, we would we I just about watch it every week, several times a week there for a while. Oh, yeah, listen and, to it uh, in the car all the time. That's right. Put it on put it on cassette tape. Listen to it in the car. It was uh, yeah. uh, we we could almost do it by memory. And some of that's faded, actually, guys. I haven't listened to it in a I while. Know. I know I, it would all be. I watched familiar. To it recently, a few years ago, when he died, and yeah. I was surprised at how much of it I I had forgotten. Uh, could not quite quote the way I used to, but still, uh, you know, it was all there. It all came back pretty quickly. Yeah, and there are still portions of it that come out every once in a while. Uh, I, I remember his opening at the Met, these huge crystal chandeliers go up, and he says, I'd like to thank Imelda Marcos for her earrings, which, of course, with that was a, a, a snack against her and her opulence at the time. And I'll, and that will come out of me every so often uh, when I see thank something you, like Melda, that. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, exactly. I'll do, I'll do it just like he does it. My kids will look at me and say, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, I really need to explain to them, but they still wouldn't quite get it. But uh, yeah. there's but aside from the Imelda Marcos and a couple of things with, with uh, President Reagan and uh, James Watt, oh, James Watt, go in the other room and hurt some squirrels. That's right. And everybody uh, now goes, today would go, what? Huh? You know, aside that? from that, his comedy holds up. It, oh, it does. Absolutely. It's still funny, even aside from the topical references. Yeah. But let's talk about his career. So his career you know, starts out in comedy. Uh, he does stand up. He gets some television roles. Uh, the first one that he is most famous for is not actually his first television role, but it's the first one people, most people think that he did, and that's uh, playing Mork uh, as a one-off on Happy Days. Mm -hmm. And it's a really goofy thing that Happy Days does, but he plays this uh, weird alien, looks human. Uh, it's where Nanu Nanu and the, uh, the, you know, the, the sideways uh, uh, Vulcan salute is used as uh, the handshake. Where you take yep. the uh, the forked fingers and you uh, put them together, uh, one horizontal, one vertical, and that was so popular, that was so phenomenally successful, he was given a television show yep. called yep. Mork and Mindy, and he and Pam entire spin-off television show off of one episode of Happy Days. Right, right. <laughs> And, which is just astounding. Yeah, Happy Days was it, it was was huge at that yeah. time. It was one of the one of the biggest uh, biggest rated uh, comedy shows of the seventies, and uh, so it gave him a huge amount of exposure. And it also had a huge audience that everybody was saying, you know, wow, when they spoke, uh, the powers that be listened, and because he was an unknown essentially at the time. And it, it, Pam Dauber uh, will tell you the story now, years later. She says they took a chance on us. They should more. Uh, this shouldn't have. If it weren't for the fact of so many people wanted it, uh, they thought he was a loose cannon. They didn't think they could control him. Turns out they were right. <laughs> but that was the best of it, because uh, uh, he would just kind of go with it. And especially as the show became enormously popular, everybody quoted it. Everybody uh, recreated it the next day. We were kids, and that's what that's what you watched all the time. So, you would try to be Mork. Oh yeah. You know, one of the things that. Uh, is great about him is we don't realize some of the, the things, the, the trends and things that he established. So granted, the, the, the puffy down vests were, were popular, but they became really popular after Mork and Minnie went on the air. But one of the other things that was an innovation, nowadays when TV is filmed, even in front of a live audience, they have multiple cameras that they use. That was not so before Mork and Mindy. They had to start using multiple cameras because they didn't know what he was going to do, where he was going to go. 
so they, yeah. they couldn't capture everything. Yeah. So they started using multiple cameras to make sure they got everything they could from the best angle. That's now a mainstay of television. Think about that. Because he was such a crazy guy, he uh -huh. changed the face of television production. <laughs> I know. And that's, you know, uh, see, that's astounding. And you know, even if he had only done that, he would still be known for that. But that was only the beginning. For, but you know, his impact would certainly be felt. Yeah, but that was that was in many respects minor, uh, yeah. a minor point of his of his career. Uh, he could have uh, he he uh, <laughs> after he uh, after Mork and Mindy he they made a they took a chance with him because like I say he's unpredictable, uh, but he was popular and they brought him in in the movie in the movie Popeye his first movie and it uh, actually the second movie. Oh, that's a, go ahead. Which one? Uh, I was going to say, it was his, actually his second movie. It was his first lead, but he was in another oh, yeah. movie in 1977. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, it's his first, that's right. He, but he, you're right. It's his first lead, his first starring role. And, yeah. uh, and it, it tanked because it was, it was awful. And well, but that's the funny thing. It, it tanked, there. but he was great in it. He was a great Popeye. Well, that's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons that they realized that, yes, the movie didn't do well. But he's still a bankable star, and uh, they they were willing. Uh, his career went, you know, went well from that. After that, which you, most oh, places absolutely. today, uh, there's no way that that's going to succeed. He's going to be, uh, you know, okay. You had your shot, Charlie, and you're and you're over. That's usually the way these sort of things go now. Uh, somebody recognized his talent, and it was not just being. Crazy and unpredictable. I mean, it was a little bit. Certainly, his, uh, his stand-up routines uh, gave him a whole lot of that. But to be honest, that's not what he's really about. I mean, that, that's just kind of an icing. The real cake with him is his film work. Uh, I mean, because he came back right after Popeye and did The World According to Garp. We were talking about that movie uh, in our show prep. That's an amazing movie. I mean. Uh, uh, Martin, you had a you had a story from that one actually. Uh, uh, I would tell it from my perspective, but you tell it so much better. Well, it's just uh, you know that movie was one of those early '80s cable staples. Yeah, you know it was on the Showtime or HBO or something just all the time because it was a current film uh, when cable really starts to be everywhere. And uh, so I've watched it a ton of times, and it's it's a strange, oddball movie based on a novel. Um, but there's a, an early scene, uh, early scene in the film. Uh, he's looking at a house he's going to buy, and the house is hit by an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he says, "Well, all right, we're going to buy this house because it's pre-disastered. Uh, nothing else bad can happen here." So I just always remember that, and it's like, okay, well, once something terrible happens, okay, fine, everything's pre-disastered, it can't go wrong again from here. That's right. It's just yeah. funny how that that sticks with you. Absolutely. You know, again, it's, it's that it, teenage experience, you watch that film, and that sticks with you now in our 50s, and we still think that way. I think all three of us do, that, mm -hmm. okay, it was a disaster, but now the disasters are behind us. Everything's going to be great from here on out. You're exactly right. That that uh, I can't tell you much about that movie anymore. I'll, I guess I suppose I could if I thought on it much. But that's where always I go. I use that all the time, and it's amazing. Uh, it, that's a, kind of a tribute to him because he made that moment memorable. Uh, it didn't have to be that way. 
but uh, he's it's just how good he was. We could talk so many more uh, things that he did because, damn, he did some really good, uh, yeah. some roles, some seriously Another good one roles. from that time period, again, it was very popular on cable TV. It's not well thought of by critics, but The Survivors, um, you know, by, by 84, 85, 86, it's on cable all the time. Right. And fellow I worked with uh, at a restaurant, we knew every line from The Survivors. We loved it. We would quote every bit of it. Uh, we just we just loved Robin Williams and that, uh, Walter Matthau, Jerry Reed. Uh, the, oh, yeah. Just, that was just, it was it, just the beginnings of his this manic character in, in films that he would go on and do. He was amazing. He really was. Like I said, one of the great talents of our times. Um, he was obviously the the comedy roles are what got him started, and he didn't really get anything serious uh, in any any way that we would think of. You know, he he did Moscow on the Hudson. He's funny there. Best of Times uh, with Kurt Russell. He's funny there. Uh, you know, but when we get to 1987, we get Good Morning Vietnam. No, 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 no. You're, you're not saying it right. Say it right. I can't do it anywhere near justice. Okay. Well, go, go ahead, Martin. If you, if you call Good down the thunder. Good morning, Vietnam. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so plays Adrian Cronauer, who's a DJ uh, in Vietnam era, and he's actually in Vietnam. And he is part of the Armed Forces Radio. And he's he does exactly what you expect Robin Williams to do. So, you know, this probably, when he found out the movie was being made, either he wanted the role, I'm guessing, or they sought him out because he was the perfect Adrian Cronauer. That good morning Vietnam uh, catchphrase was real. That wasn't something he made up for the show or for the movie. And while it was funny, it had its serious moments. So it was a really good mix of him being able to be Robin Williams, but also showing that he had some serious chops. And that, I think, was probably the turning point in his career as far as turning him into, hey, this guy can actually carry a real film. And, you know, from there he went on to uh, uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen and uh, Portrait of a White Marriage. You know, neither one of those are terribly memorable for him. But in 89 is when he gets Dead Poets Society. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that is, Wow. That's his first fully serious role, and he is absolutely phenomenal in it. You know, that's where everybody gets the, the where it popularized the, the quote, seize the day, carpe diem. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he still, he goes back and forth, does some funny stuff, does some uh, serious stuff, but that one really established it. And, and from there, really, he could do whatever he wanted. He could take any role he wanted, whether it's funny, and did. big, or small. And he mm -hmm. did. Yeah, he was able to be. You know, he he was able to bring box office success to whatever he did most of the time. After that, he was pretty good at just carrying a movie, even movies that weren't all that great. His presence made them better. Right. Uh, I mean, some of some of the ones. I mean, he's probably. I mean, he's known for so many. I mean, he he did a he did a rather uh, uh, small uh, cameo practically. 
uh, in Dead Again in 1991 with Kenneth Branagh, one of my favorite movies. And it's just because he, he, he and Ken Branagh are friends. And it's an amazing moment. Uh, in fact, he's one of the key points of the plot in that movie. He just did it just because, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, that was in um, 91. 91 and 92 were huge for him. He had oh, yes. eight movies come out in those two years. Mm-hmm. You know, he had Shakes the Clown, Dead Again, Fisher King, Hook, Fern Gully, The Timekeeper, Aladdin, and Toys. Not to be confused with Toy Story. Right. Yeah, because Toys was a, was one of his few flops, actually, if I recall correctly. Yeah. It's one of those movies that he didn't like. <laughs> he said that it, it 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 wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Uh, whereas he did uh, Aladdin right before that, which was huge. One of, we were talking about that in the show prep. Uh, they just let him go. They they just filmed him with doing a comedy routine, and they incorporated. They just basically be the genie uh, and be the narrator for this. And whatever he did. They animated it, and that is just kind of so cool. That's you know what? Who does that? Who gets to do that? Who can actually make the movie better by doing that? Right. You know, it, it's it's not, that's that's tribute to who he was. And after that, he did one of his very very best movies. It might be what if you if you pin me down and said what was his most successful movie uh, commercially? It, might, it was probably Mrs. Doubtfire. That movie uh, uh, in '93 was just huge. It was it was an amazing moment with him. Uh, it was it had all the marks of the '80s and '90s comedies, and yet it had some serious stuff with it too. Uh, it was it was well done. Uh, Chris Columbus was the director, but uh, it was really Robin Williams that made it so so awesome. Oh yeah, uh, he carried that that he carried that off phenomenally. Really did. Um, you know, we could go year by year if we wanted to, just talk about how great some of the movies were, but. Um, I think the the common thing among them uh, is that even though some of his personality would shine through, he was still a great actor. Now the comedies is probably I think where that uh, that what we think of as Robin Williams shines through the most. But right. even the drama, you know, when he when he is talking seriously uh, as as Robin Williams, you see him in interviews. You see, he can be a serious, thoughtful person. He wasn't an idiot. He was a smart man. Most comedians have to be smart to be able to be truly funny. Mm -hmm. And he could bring that intellectual capacity to the serious roles. And that is, I think, you know, not everybody can do that. You know, people who can do comedy can't always do serious stuff. You know, can you imagine Kenneth Branagh doing stand-up? I can't. No, no way. And, you know, Eddie Murphy... He sort of did some serious stuff, but not really. You know, he stuck to the funny stuff because that's what he was best at. Right. Robin Williams, that was his genius. He could do both and do them both well. Uh, Goodwill Hunting, for instance, got some great stuff in it. Great serious movie. Uh, but ever, you know, one of the best stories in that he's talking about the the the. Of course, it's in Boston, so they love the Red Sox, and uh, he's telling the story to uh, Matt Damon about. Uh, his wife in, in the, the ball game and, uh, and you know, Matt Damon can't get over the fact that, that the character he was playing, the doctor, had no idea what happened after he uh, basically met his wife there or had that experience with her because he fell in love right there. And, uh, you know, it was like, eh, no big deal. And Matt Damon just goes nuts. But that counterpoint between the two of them is just a, such a great scene because he lays out the story in character. And then he's like, eh, there's no big deal. Uh, which, of course, Matt Damon, who 
oddly enough, really is a great actor in, in his own right. Uh, just played off so well one against the other. Uh, just, you know, that's a great example of him being the, bringing that intellectual capacity to that serious role. He was, he, he was phenomenal with that. And, and he, I think he, people underestimated him at first. They think, well, he's just oh, a yeah. one-trick tr- one, one pony. He's just this crazy guy uh, that's comedic, and everybody likes him but because you don't know what he'll do. And he proved them all wrong. I mean, uh, well, the, one of the movie roles that he was most proud of was as a serial killer in One Hour Photo. He said that was mm-hmm. his, he, probably his greatest role that he ever played. It was so against type. Uh, and uh, I mean, some of his dramas were were his better roles, and you kept expecting him to be crazy. And when he wasn't, it zeroed you in so well, and realized this guy has got talent. It's amazing talent. Uh, we talked a little bit about one of my favorite movies of his, "What Dreams May Come," uh, which was a dark, dark, uh, serious. I mean, it's about the afterlife and death and suicide and. All those type of things, which, you know, ironically, uh, I haven't watched it since his death. I don't know that I could. I suppose I possibly could. But it, it was, it's just one of those uh, eerie feelings, uh, considering the, the manner of his death, uh, it, which resonates even today. Uh, and not just because he was formative to us, because he was, but just because of who he was. Uh, it, everybody knew him. And... Everybody was moved. Uh, uh, you'll see interviews uh, on television with his son uh, Zachary l- later, and it, it, the whole family. Even though, even you know, he had you know, as you said earlier, he he certainly never had a stable uh, marriage or uh, or a family life. Even though he wanted that, um, his depression, I think, uh, and his medical issues, his addiction issues, sort of they weren't they were known, but publicly. I don't think any of us really understood that, uh, the, 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 the tragedy that he uh, endured, the difficulties that he endured. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty heavy, pretty heavy for somebody to carry. And ultimately, he could not uh, in the end. So, gentlemen, um, now's a good uh, time to pause. Uh, so this time I do have a bourbon, and I did manage to, to, to get one before we started, unlike the last episode. So uh, tonight I am drinking uh, the, the good stuff, the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked uh, in honor of oh, your favorite for the man. Yes, exactly right. It's always good. Yep. What are you gentlemen drinking? Well, I just, On that uh, old tub, are you? Yes, I just yeah, exactly. and polished off the old tub that I... Uh, poured before we right before we got rolling here. Yeah, old tub seems to be my thing these days. Uh, it's uh, you know, it uh, this unfiltered stuff. It's just I feel like I'm getting you know the real McCoy here. Uh, I'm not I'm not getting some wimpy wimpy wimpy. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. you like that like the old commercial for the hefty 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 not wimpy wimpy wimpy. Uh, I'm getting the hefty bag version, which ironically Robin Williams uh, in his. Uh, uh, Night with Robin Williams uh, comedy uh, VHS back in the 80s that we used to watch, which was the other one we used to watch. Uh, he was wearing uh, pants that he walked around saying that he uh, were furnished to him by Hefty Bag because they mm-hmm. kind of looked a little bit like those. So, uh, yes, the old vinyl uh, parachute pants kind of thing, yes. The parachute yep. pants, yes. Pants yes, by Robin Hefty Williams. Bag. That's right, Robin. Pants by Hefty Bag. Yes. Now, since you brought up that particular uh, thing, you know, 
that I think is probably one of the best examples of his improvisational skills because mm-hmm. when he's at the Met, he's, he improvises, but he sticks to script more so than, than other things. I think probably because he was a bit nervous uh, at the Met because it was yes, the Met. Just, That's mm-hmm. right. That's what he says. He talks about that quite a bit. Like, How do you get to the Met? Money. That's not some money. Right. Uh, but in, in the San Francisco show, uh, An Evening with Robin Williams, he is he's pr- probably at the height of his comedic skills there as a, as a stand-up improvisational guy. He, there's this one point where this woman gets up and leaves, and she goes to the bathroom. And he does like seven or eight minutes on this woman and her being gone and... and uh, Allison. Her name was Allison. Allison. Yes, Allison. Because right, he, he asks, he, he's in a club, basically, and he asks yeah. who that was, and the, 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 her friends tell him that. So he, he, he just goes off on this tangent on this stuff. And she comes back finally, and he embraces her. Oh, Allie, Allie, we miss you so much. Uh, it's it's yeah. just amazing. Uh, you know, and that's totally off the cuff. And just unbelievable stuff. It's just really, really great. Great. So you bring that. I just, you know, I could listen to those two tapes all day long. I really could, just because it's that funny. And I like the funny stuff. I really do. So, in addition to all the movies and uh, TV, because you know he also did some uh, television series at the end of his life. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that's one of the things that drove his depression at the end of his life was uh, money issues. And he did uh, a lot of uh, television work near the end, partially because it was quick and easy, maybe not easy, but it was a paycheck. And he felt it was beneath him uh, to do some of those. And that just led the the suppression to spiral even more, unfortunately. But besides that, you know, he was involved with charitable work. Very famously started uh, Comic Relief in the mid-80s with Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg uh, Mm -hmm. to help uh, with the homeless problem. Because, you know, homelessness... Uh, shot up in the early 80s because the courts uh, basically said you could not keep people against their will except under certain conditions. And so mental institutions had a horrible, they had horribly, they had to release a lot of people that could not function on their own because they couldn't keep them. And so the homeless problem, these people, they couldn't get jobs, they had no place to go, and the homeless problem skyrocketed. And so these three got together and uh, Martin, what did you say it was in the show prep? Some $80 million up to his death that they had raised? I believe that's what Francis uh, had said, yes. Oh, Francis, yeah, $80 million yeah. as of 2014. That's uh, right. exactly right. Total, that's the, total that's the, that's the organization itself. Yeah, because it, it was not a one-and-done thing. I mean, they did several years of it, but the organization continued uh, with his support as well as Billy Crystal's and uh, Whoopi Goldberg's uh, to, to continue to make a difference. That's a lot of money that's put t- uh, towards this charity, which really was very effective uh, by all accounts. Yeah. You know, that's, so, that's, that's something pretty big. Yeah, you know, that's a, it shows that uh, he wasn't a entirely, because let's face it, when you're famous, you're in Hollywood, you're going to be somewhat self-absorbed, but he was not a totally narcissistic dick, pardon my French. <laughs> you know, I know we're a family show, but that's just, just a great way to put it. For yeah. so many of in Hollywood are like that. He wasn't like that. Uh, to me, uh, that's one of the things that makes him. A, he is worthy of admiration as a hero 
in many ways. He could easily have been one of the our heroes. Yeah. Um, we actually, when we were originally talking about doing it, we were going to put him there uh, as a hero. But we thought, well, maybe not, because the, the tragedy that he had, it just we didn't think we could make it work. Oh, I so think we, we could have, but I, oh, I think... Yeah, there's nothing we can't do, boys. We're snakes and otters. I think his impact was pop culture that's more right. than anything else. That's right. That's, that's, where we, that's where we ended up. And that's it. why he's and, uh, here. Um, but, you know, the fact that he had that depth, that presence of mind to, uh, to be that way, uh, to worry about those kinds of things, um, just shows that he, he truly was a... He was real. He had depth. And that, that was a great thing. Uh, one of the great interviews of all time... Um, Oh shoot! I can't remember the name of the guy who does them, but he—it's guy who who's who is at a university setting, and he interviews famous people in front of a college crowd. James Lipton. Oh, James Lipton. James Lipton. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, in the actor's studio, I believe. Yeah. Was, yes. Was actor's studio. That he did. Just passed that away is about. A phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal interview, and he is himself. Uh, especially when he gets to the point where James Lipton asks, there's a set of questions he always asks, what's your favorite swear word? I cannot repeat what the swear word was because it's a little too vulgar for this particular show. Yes, we're still uh, family. Yes, we're trying to be family, family friendly. friendly. Yeah. Uh, for the most uh -huh. part, we are. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, yeah, we, we won't say it. We're pillars of the community, and, and I'm a heathen, so I... Uh, I'm not we, a fan of the community. We've only dropped the F-bomb once. That was me uh, right. long, long even, ago. Even Marcus Aurelius did not drop the F-bomb. And we were expecting that one, too. We, we, were were prepared that. With, we were prepared for an edit job if we had to. Yes, because, uh, you know, he famously dropped the F-bomb on live radio in the 90s ooh. on one ooh. of the local talk radio shows. Good for and, him. And so I, I remember I was listening to it, and it's like, hey, that's Marcus. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I hear the F, and I was like, oh, and the, we're on to our next caller. <laughs> we might mention, that. too. That's exactly what this town that. needs, too, is a Not, lot of F-bombs on the radio. Yes. Uh, we might mention that Marcus twice. is doing Not a Robin Williams too. thing, but uh, the, the host says, you can't say that. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then 10 seconds later, he drops it again, and then he's like, all right, we're done. We're on to the next caller. <laughs> uh, anyways. But just the way he said that favorite swear word uh, was just so quintessential him. Yeah. And it just, you know, I could, like I said, I could, listen, I could listen to him read the phone book, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. It would be hilarious. Um, just taken far too soon, far too soon. Uh, so much more he could have given us. Uh, what, funny, you know, funny stuff or serious. I was fine with either. I really was, because he was so good at... Yeah, he did a movie called RV. Uh, not quite slapstick, but, you know, very much a... a um, kind of a 30s-style kind of, of comedy. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of a screwball kind of a thing. Uh, if it had been filmed in black and white, and they had had RVs back then, it could have been a yeah. 1930s comedy. It could, it could have, have been, been Cary Grant. Grant yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, Cary Grant, yes. Yeah. yeah. It would have been a Cary Grant movie if it had been made 60 years before... Exactly, which again shows you the the ability. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can do a Cary Grant movie. There was only one Cary Grant. That's right. Or Cary Grant too. There's only one Cary Grant. That's right. Exactly. 
the no. Flintstones folks for our younger fo for our younger yes. folks. So what's striking me as you talk about these different roles is not only how good he was in them, but it seemed like he made everybody else in these roles better. Yeah. You know, in so many of these films that we've talked about, other people win awards. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, it launches their acting careers to a degree. Um, it, it just there's so many great people that he worked with, and they were tremendous working with him. Yeah. Um, you know, John Lithgow, the beginning of his career, working with him in Garp is amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. You know, um, oh, what is the fellow that's in Good Morning Vietnam with him that's so good? Oh, uh, uh, the guy with the funny eye. Um, oh, shoot, what is his name? Afri the African-American actor, right? Yes, yes, i got to look him up. Forrest Whitaker. Oh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Oh, yes, yes. You know, he's a terrific actor, and that's a fairly early part for him. Yeah. Four or five years after um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, he I was in that? Yeah, I think Forrest Whitaker, that's his first big role. He no was kidding. The, he was the wow. giant football player. Okay. Where okay. Spicoli stole his Camaro. Um. Hmm. So you think about, you know, it's a, what a great actor he is, what a great reputation he has. It's a very early role as well. And then, of course, Dead Poet Society launches uh, some Several careers. Several young and, actors. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Many young actors there. Thomas Gibson, uh, uh, tons and tons of folks in there. Yeah, and then Goodwill Hunting, of course, is, is, a, is a landmark for uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Um, so you just think about the great performances that people gave in just working with him. Um, are, it, it's a big deal. Yeah, he brought out the best in his uh, in his co-stars. Yeah, and you know, you you would think that with his talent, with his his ability to to be the center of attention without much effort, that others would just shrink to the background. But no, that's <laughs> not not the way it worked. Uh, surprisingly. You had to work hard to keep up, I guess. You know, Pam Dauber talked about that with Mork and Mindy. She said there were times when she had no idea what they were going to film that day because it all depended on what Robin did. And yeah. it was even worse when Jonathan Winters joined the cast in that last year as their child. Yeah. And because, you know, they would just play off each other. I mean, she could just sit back and just watch and you know and she didn't she wasn't bitter about it either she enjoyed the hell out of it because yeah. you know it was so such a joy to watch those geniuses work yeah and to be part of it you know, in yeah. whatever way that she could be yeah yep so uh, favorite favorite Robin Williams moment mm. oh well um I, I would probably. That's no, okay. Uh, I would still think that if you asked me what my favorite one moment was, it would be one of his more serious ones. Uh, what dreams may come. Uh, his time after he dies and he finds himself in heaven uh, and everything is paint 
and he meets his son. He doesn't know it's his son, played by Cuba Gooding Jr., who had died previously. And and just the the look on his face, the the way that the way that he portrays the amazing joy of what it's like in heaven. That's what I wish for him. You know, that's what I, that's what that moment seemed. It it's something that stuck with me. Even years later, and I only saw that movie once, but that's all, all I needed to. Uh, it was that good. And uh, if you ask me what memories of Robin Williams keep coming back to me, I always find myself back there for some strange reason. Hmm. Maybe Mark, I'm praying for him. I'm sure I am. Oh, absolutely. Well, certainly Garp is. is oh, yeah, big Garp big. was a great movie. Um, and the stand up. The stand-up again, that frantic quality to it. Um, where he, just, he went from thing to thing to thing to thing. So much quicker. Just this, the rapid-fire part of it. But it was rapid-fire where everything worked. It wasn't just a hit and miss where he was shooting stuff and 20% of it was funny. It was all great. And... You know, I just he he just dominated the the eighties uh for, for comedy. He did, um, yeah. You know, everybody everybody wanted to be Robin Williams, um for, for that went in the stand up uh at that time. So Well that's right. You're exactly right. Uh, I had forgotten that you that uh that was the case, but he was that influential on uh all the the stand up. That, that went mm-hmm. on, uh, he re, he redefined that in many ways because he proved. I'm sorry, folks, you don't get to just come in and do your routine. You've got to be able to have some talent to do this well to succeed at it. And yeah. he pretty much said that. Uh, he laid that out for them. Yeah, he defined what what stand up was going to be, um, you know, and made it look effortless. Which is, mm-hmm. as we as we all know, it's not. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Real key with Richard Pryor, uh, yeah. Bringing yeah, out, he was on the Richard Pryor television show. Yeah, bring out that very personal uh, stuff on stage, uh, almost as a therapeutic thing. Mm-hmm. You know, not not ashamed to admit, hey, I, I, yeah, I've been on drugs. Let's talk about that. Yeah, cocaine. Uh, you know, up all night and impotent. What a great thing. That's right. You know, and then there's free basing. It's not free. It costs you your house. It should be called home basing. <laughs> that's right. That's one of, that's one of his great uh, moments, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the two of them were, were groundbreaking. I mean, you just didn't you, – none of the stand-ups up to that time, even even the groundbreaking ones like a Lenny Bruce, you know, it wasn't always – you just didn't do personal stuff and, and to make fun of yourself as an addict – uh, as a way of coping with that, it was, it was very groundbreaking. Very, yeah. very different. So for me, I guess my, I don't know that I can pick just one moment, but going back to that live at the Met, um, it, to me that's just seminal Robin Williams. It um, was. Because you know, it has all of those things. Because uh, you know, he does get serious when he talks about his issues, and that's great. Um, but he's able to do it in a, in a way that, that – um, uh, I think you realize, hey, anybody can have this, uh, these issues. But he's just so damn funny in it. Um, as far as movies, gosh, I don't know. Like, even pick out a favorite movie because there's, there, there are so many. But, you know, I think 
I almost have to go with one hour photo because really? he was so creepy in that. <laughs> and he was so good at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, insomnia as well. I, I mentioned those are two I have mentioned, but I think, you know, those two are just phenomenal things. Because uh, I think it just shows range. I like them even better, I think, than Dead Poets Society and Goodwill Hunt. I do love Dead. Yeah, I do love Dead Poets Society. It was uh, yeah. uh, sad as it is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it, it's it's still very good. So you know, and of course uh, the uh, the 2002 HBO special with the uh, the French joke, which again I cannot cannot use because I would have to drop the f bomb here uh, multiple times. Uh, but you know, he's just it never got not funny with him. It's still funny. That's right. Yeah. It, it, as his uh, words yeah. would say, it's still funny, mama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and to me, that's just the greatest thing. He, he entertains over and over, even with the same stuff. You know, some, some, some guys who are entertainers, after you've seen it once or twice, like, okay, this is, it's no big deal anymore. Uh, you know, how many times can you listen to Eddie Murphy's Raw, for instance, which is around that same time frame? Mm-hmm. After a while, it gets old. Uh, but comparatively, not the Robin Williams stuff, you know. No, to me, right. it, it doesn't get old. And that is, that's just genius. He really was. Uh, he, is, he is the comedic Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> oh, well said, sir. Very well said. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, any last words uh, about uh, the great Robin Williams he is missed he is very much missed uh, we yeah. wonder what he what he may have done otherwise uh, don't like to think that way but you know you almost can't help it yeah well you, know, you think about that with all the, the great creators um, that die early you know what would uh, uh, Jim Morrison have done had he lived uh, or Janis Joplin, or uh, Jimmy Valens, you know, those rock and roll guys that died way too young, uh, that right. sort of thing. Uh, or painters and sculptors. So. Martin, what about you? Any last words? No, man, I, I think we got it covered. Uh, that was, uh, we, we've, we've surrounded all aspects of that one. Yes, I do believe we did. So, Francis, what is coming up next? We're going back to history. Uh, we finished our Civil War series, uh, so we're going to, you know, it's palate cleanse time, gentlemen. So Reconstruction go- is beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Uh, we're going to go way back in time. We're going to start up the old way back machine again and go way back to the Viking period. We're going back pre-conquest in England. Uh, this was uh, Martin's idea. We're going to talk about, with the popularity of the TV series Vikings on History Channel, which we all love, fantastic show, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the character of Ragnar Lothbrok, who was the main character for the first uh, four or five seasons, I forget yeah. exactly. Uh, uh, he is historical. He is very historical. In fact, he is, the story of him is very much the basis for that show, but there's a ton about him, uh, uh, the Saxon invasions and all that. Yeah. We, we des- he deserves a little bit of uh, uh, yeah. unpacking. Uh, there's yeah. a lot. The historicity of him is a fascinating story. Uh, to be honest, the TV show gets him pretty right uh, in many ways, uh, but we're going to explore that yeah. next time and yeah. talk to you a little bit about that. Where does, where does the man start and the myth end? And We're going to have a special guest as well to discuss Ragnar Lothbrok. 
bring him That's right. on. One of the few times we have had uh, that we will ever have a guest. Yeah. So, so we're yeah. gonna have a surprise special guest to discuss Ragnar Lothbrok. Don't All right, well, excellent. Thanks everyone for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.